little machines that run inside our cells. You can look up videos and see these machines moving around. And like, literally, they're like little people dragging molecules around in your body. And we know all that stuff of them. We know what's going on. We can picture it. We can animate it. We can tell you what they are. But we don't really know what effect like a carrot has when it goes in. Hey, it's Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that was... Oh. I'm Brian. Just, you're Batman. Bro. Oh, interesting. I'm, ba- I'm Batman. I'm I'm Batman. I'm Brian. I'm Batman. Tell your friends. Oh, that was me. better. I'm Brian. Hey, old nice to meet you. Oh, hey, buddy. Now you're just a glorious unicorn. Hello. Um, Take us to Candy Mountain, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going in the show notes. We are back with episode 46. We actually have the production schedule dialed in enough now that I'm confident saying an episode number in a recording session. Uh, That's an interesting accomplishment that I would have guessed we'd had dialed in previously, but nope, we haven't. Nope. It was that fluid until last week. (laughs) (laughs) We're really down it right now. Finding our stride around episode 46. Thanks for thanks for hanging out. Special thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon, who throw us as little as a buck an episode Woo. to help keep this thing afloat. Rock and uh, roll. If you jump in over there, you get some stuff early, and you get access to our Slack channel, where you can uh, take part in pre-production. That to sounds like a work. degree that we have decided is acceptable <laughs> before we start disregarding your input you can edit content for us if you sign up for our <laughs> channel you can perform menial tasks that we don't have time to do uh no but everything we end up doing on an episode starts as a stupid conversation and gets you know pared down into something worthwhile so if you want to see what that looks like it exists on slack it's fun and i get to chat with a lot of people in there that i don't chat with on a regular basis so it's kind of uh it's kind of nice Thanks for nice that way. thanks to the people that hang out there. Yeah, thanks for supporters. Make um, a huge difference. Uh, yeah, and as we mentioned on the uh, the shorty, you can go back and look at recently. We're working on something cool for the fiftieth episode. That's kind of around. Woo! Uh, yeah. What all this means, anyway? Cool. Um, what are you guys working on? Oh, thanks for asking. We're actually uh, taking clips from listeners' questions. Statements, comments, jokes, life stories, anything you've ever wanted to get out on air, send it over. I'm waiting for the guy who talks like this to answer. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. That sounds totally rad. I'm going to use my iPhone and I'm going to record something with the audio app and I'm going to send it over to you via your email. What's your email? Damn. You know, um, hello, it's engineeringpodcast.com. Just listen to the shorty. <laughs> um. But for this one, we we're we're back to that what we've kind of been chasing in the lead up of our conversations, um, in the lead up to our the fiftieth episode, which is to back up and try to do some of the things that we have along the way tried to do a number of times and sort of backed off of for a while because it was like, ooh, that one was tough. Yeah, and they all sort of revolve around the meat space where the like scientific method meets real life. Where yeah. things are way squishier than you wish they were if you're trying to assess a scientific system. Where these these academic ideals that we hold ourselves to meet the actual human body and the human mind and fall apart. So we we were talking about this 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 actually like it 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 
last episode we did last recording session we had a great session and then i was like i think the next one we should talk about this and it almost immediately descended into an argument (laughs) (laughs) all the good episodes because uh i gave you an example of an experiment (laughs) that like a normal person could do and you were like that's not an experiment and i was like well i what would make it an experiment? <laughs> and so what I was saying was like, so if somebody has never tried surfing and they want to experiment with surfing, so they go try it out and they don't like it. So they're like, well, I experimented with surfing, but I, I didn't enjoy it. And your response was, that's not an experiment. <laughs> I was like, well, what would be, you were like, if you went surfing at the same time of day, every day <laughs> for two <laughs> years, if you stop doing all your other hobbies, focus exclusively on surfing. Change those variables in a predictable pattern to then assess the situation and decide that you don't like surfing. First, um, you have to learn how to surf, and then you can run the experiment. I think my answer, my quick answer to, to my quick response to trying out surfing as an experiment, uh, kind of touched on less on the sense of what the word means to like experiment with something um, more in the context of what we were talking about. We were talking about like op- optimizing a system or like solving a problem or uh, having a goal of some sort. Whereas that uses the word in kind of a loose sense of I'm going to just try, I'm going to try something and see if I like it kind of, or uh, I think I'll wear a red shirt today. Like, are you experimenting with clothes? I guess so. You're experimenting with your outfit. You're experimenting with stuff. But like, there's nothing defined around it, right? And that's kind of, it's not, it's not, it's, it's an experiment, I guess, in a sense. Not necessarily in the sense that we were, that we're like headed into with like, I don't know. I'm hesitant to so say let's... it's not an experiment as strongly as I did the other day. So I want to start. Just hyper technical with it. Talk me through a cool experiment you did uh, when you were like with with when you were working with mechanical engineering stuff. I have one that I can talk a lot about and why it was so difficult to do. It's it's about golf clubs, which is kind of a non technical thing, but also, I mean, just running an experiment by its nature is pretty hard to not be technical. Um, I'll run through with you real quick and see if we can figure out a way to play this thing. Cause it's interesting. Cause it basically, it wasn't, it was a failed experiment that had been running for years before I got to Titleist and will be running for years afterwards because all the findings were things that people didn't like. So, um, it was a, it was a project I took over. Uh, I hated it very quickly because we realized all the issues with it. It was just the idea that if you're familiar with golf clubs, they have these two measurements called loft and lie which basically dictate what each club is like a three iron. The, the angle of the face changes between a three or four or five, right? The angle gets higher. And so the, ball goes the higher. length of the shaft as well. Uh, the length too, but the other measurement is the angle of the shaft basically to the ground when you're holding it. Um, well really in relation to the face, um, is so you're measuring the angle of the face, uh, and then the angle of the face to the shaft, right? And that angle shifts as you go through your clubs from a three to a four to a five. Um, it also shifts thing. per person. You can optimize that angle for right. the length of your and then you can change arms. it, which adds to the complexity and the silliness <laughs> of this. But so the industry reported loft and lie measurements to a certain specificity, right? Like 
within a degree, right? So when you get a three iron, the idea was, well, your three iron is basically going to be the same as every other three iron that we sell you. And so there is a process on our manufacturing floors in every single cell. So there are like 50 of these stations in our manufacturing plant where every club would be measured and then adjusted. And the big question was, well, this was a very difficult process to do. Uh, it was very manually intensive. It was potential for injury was really high because you're basically you were having a human apply a crowbar to a, go- a metal golf club head to bend it. Uh, and then there it was like cycling, like you'd bend it, it wouldn't be right. You'd measure it, you'd come back, you'd have to do it again, you'd measure it, it wouldn't be right. So it was this terrible process that that and the, the question was, does this make a difference? And at the end, are we actually delivering clubs that are within this spec? Um, this basically tormented me the whole time I was at Titleist. It was extraordinarily difficult. The prod, the machine I ended up building was fabulous and brilliant and wonderful. And I loved building it. It was so complex, but ultimately, say, but what it was didn't cool accomplish anything. <laughs> the cool part about it was all the technology that went into it, all the vision, vision, machine vision and stuff. But in reality, what we discovered was like, talk about that stuff. Go give me details on like, does this, is, I'm envisioning a robot arm swinging a club to hit a ball and then see what trajectory the ball comes off. So there were two, well, two interesting things. One, the machine I built to adjust the thing ended up being better than the machine used to measure the club, which then drew attention to the fact that the machines, the whole industry was using to measure clubs weren't accurate enough to actually do what the whole industry said it was doing. Um, And then we realized my machine wasn't either because it's just notoriously difficult. And then we identified all these aspects of a golf club that make it basically impossible to do what everyone wanted to do. And so this whole process came down to, we had these ideas and these theories and these desires and a purpose and and an ultimate goal, but it just was impossible to do. (laughs) Well, that was the extra funny thing. It just, it didn't matter. No one gave a shit. No one was calling in and being like, my three irons one degree off. Like I need my money back. No one knows. We couldn't measure it as like a whole engineering department with a million dollars thrown at it. So how could a golfer measure it? (laughs) 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 Um, Although I have come up with a solution since then. Um, uh, And I I sent (laughs) it to my old boss. There's a lot of new tools. You could do like, uh, you know, shit. What's what's it called when you use a mesh of pictures? Volumetric. There's so many other ways to do this these days. Well, here is one of the ultimate problems with this that made it really interesting that I was thinking of earlier when we were talking about experiments. The idea here is that you had to measure a golf club, right? You had to you had to take a golf club, a picture of a, a club with the, the head, like the face of a three iron. Then you've got a shaft inserted in there. And the machine I built, essentially, I always describe it as it was measuring everything about a golf club in three-dimensional space, right? So it had to identify where the golf club was. It had to start to lock in places it was measuring from. So it would like magnets would lock it onto the face. Little pins would drop into the score lines. Um, a camera would take pictures of the score lines. Uh, two other clamps would come in and grab the shaft. And then cameras would take pictures of the shafts. And all this math was being done. All this really complex uh, 3D geometric math was being done by the computer. But what we ultimately realized was no matter how you hold a golf club, the metal, despite it seeming sturdy, no matter what orientation you hold a golf club in, the metal deforms just enough to throw it outside the specs of what everyone wanted to report the golf club was. So no matter how you grabbed it or held it, you were always deforming it a little bit. And so you couldn't actually, not only could you not really measure it, but philosophically, there wasn't a measurement because every time you hold the club, it was different. And so we realized that that 
effect was like a couple degrees. So you were already just by the nature of touching the golf club, you threw it out of spec. That reminds me of one of my favorite, like, whoa, science things. Glass is not a solid. It's a liquid. <laughs> so if you, can look at a, if you can look at a window that's 300 years old, it's fatter at the bottom of the panes than at the top. It just oozes so slow that we're not aware of it and things don't stick to it and whatever. But yeah, it's a whole, it's that crazy perspective shift that takes you outside of our range of sensory perception. In that case, it's time with a golf club. It's, it's just minute distances. It's what size. You described in, you know, in all your highfalutin engineering speak <laughs> was that, that the golf clubs are so floppy that you can't make you, that you can't promise that they'll fall within a certain range, right? Right. They're if you floppy. Have a piece of string, and you have to, you got to be like, okay, every time I drop it, it's going to land in this circle. It's like no, <laughs> one out of a thousand. <laughs> it's going to flop around, and then then you have to take the idea with a golf club, especially. It's so silly because if it if I can't measure it in like a controlled scientific laboratory setting like how do you think it performs when you're just some dude out on the golf course who's had six beers and you're swinging a golf club like these numbers just don't mean anything so it's it's meaningless to be measuring them and worrying about them to some degree uh which was kind of the conclusion but then it just kept being this project and so this experiment uh was just the depth of the experiment we tested so many things around this to try to run this through and we would we would come up with ideas and we would build a machine and we would put it out on the manufacturing floor in some of our cells and we would run thousands of clubs through it and then we'd get data back and half the time we'd be like i don't know the data is inconclusive and then you'd start to chase then you start to chase these other pieces why is it inconclusive and you would just start to notice, oh, well, this operator, you then start to compare the people running the tests. And then you'd notice, well, you've got 10 people using this machine to measure the golf clubs. And in the data, you can identify the 10 users because they all use it differently. And so you're so quickly made aware of the difficulties in testing things when you do a, a big scale experiment that it just becomes very apparent that experiments are extraordinarily difficult and so applying it to everyday life is good mentally it's like a good mental exercise but it just doesn't really work you can't apply you can't do scientific experiments like on yourself well and and you're and the point of failure for this the experiment that you just described is like the meat space seam right like you're at a place where you're like well you could make the thing more stiff but then it wouldn't work as a golf club People have to use it. They are all weird shapes and sizes and swings and whatever. And it's just the standard you want. It's just never going to happen. And, and you then you need a yoga instructor to come in and go, and it's okay. Let's work through that. <laughs> right. Like, and that's the, that's the outcome, right? <laughs> that's the conclusion that, that I've started to come to with a lot of things in life, uh, which it, it does. It falls back on those philosophies of everything's all right, man. Just chill out. Right, because you because you have to. People are happy with their golf clubs. We're doing the, good. The concept of optimizing things, which is extraordinarily popular in pop culture now, which used to be the domain of nerds. Right, if if I had talked to someone about optimizing things fifteen years ago, it wouldn't have been a topic that anyone wants to talk about. But now everyone wants to optimize everything. They want to optimize their schedule. They want to optimize their workouts. They want to optimize their diet. They want to optimize their sleep schedule. All of those things are 
the idea of optimization requires that you run an experiment. You can't optimize if you don't have a goal and then you have an idea and then you are getting gathering data and testing and adjusting to reach a, a goal, right? It's applying feedback loops to accomplish something. It's it's an experiment. And they just don't do anything yet. <laughs> all these all these optimizations that people are doing for the most part, I think if everyone really uh if you really could test this stuff it's all just happening randomly and it's so it's your mindset that comes into it doing the experiment probably makes you feel good about yourself which is fabulous and that that makes sense as the goal but on some level it's just it's interesting to be aware of that it's setting goals and trying to accomplish something and trying to move in a direction that ultimately benefits you because you're probably not really moving in that direction all the time maybe half the time you are right like where's the disconnect for the thing that that you would call a, a con like a, a an experiment and what people tend to think of and i think it's funny because it gets us back to a, a conversation that i we started earlier as we were preparing for this where i just said well what are some of your favorite experiments and the first thing you were inclined to tell me wasn't like here's this big complicated experiment i did when I was working in the field, it was a couple of videos that are in our, that are in our Slack channel. And they mostly have to do with like using a battery and some magnets to induce levitation, right? Like it's more of a demonstration of things that science have, has learned, but it's not like you're not, you're not gathering data off of them. But yeah, that's they're different... probably most, most people's ex, like exposure to this is an experiment. Yeah, these are these are exactly what I think people think of when when you like say in a nerdy way the word experiment. They're like, oh, right, like the volcano that explodes when you pour soda in it, or like the plant that you don't give water to, and the other one you do give water, and you see what happens. They're like um, like high school science experiment type stuff. I would guess is that what most people think of. What are you thinking yeah. of right now? And, Send us a clip. And and we might put it in episode fifty. The you you at one point said that they are they're not rigorous enough and i don't think those experiments even there's no rigorous to talk about in there like they're just not it's not about what you're talking about when you want to induce rigor into that experience right you want to get to a step that i would call testing there's no testing in those experiments yeah, that's the you distinction just go, hey it floats look at it yeah experimenting from from the sense where you were coming from the other day when we started this conversation is very much just uh a like experiencing something doing something trying something checking something out observing something so really it's kind of just it's a step in the bigger picture piece which i think i kind of uh just by the nature of my background attached to the word experiment i attach the idea of the scientific method to it uh which doesn't it doesn't really need to be attached right they're separate things um but like trying things out and observing them is a, is a, is one of the important aspects of the scientific method, which is used in uh, professional or academic settings to test things, test hypotheses. Um, but that's a lot. That's a lot. A lot of baggage to tack onto the word experiment. So if you just want to see if you like surfing, um, go surfing and try it out. But but here comes here comes the layering of baggage that I bring to every conversation when I'm with everyone I talk to <laughs> is there's more to that, right? If someone, 
if every time I've surfing is a great example because I have had the conversation probably dozens of times in my life with people who like want to learn to surf. They're like, hey, surfing's cool. I just moved to San Diego. Uh, or I've been here for years and I've never surfed. Like, what do I do? How do I go about surfing? And then the conversation from someone who has surfed and spent a lot of time learning to surf, like myself, you kind of have to start in this like ease them in space because you know that surfing is extraordinarily frustrating to pick up. It's a very, very difficult activity. And so you like start to layer things in, which kind of start to make it like a little experiment at that point, like a little test, like a little, you're like, well, do get these, figure these things out first to kind of set yourself up, right? To set up your experiment. And then know in your head that you're going to run this experiment at least a dozen times or else you won't really know if you like surfing because the first six times the experiment's going to fail. And it seems like to me, the distinction is that you're talking about like a duration thing. And that gets us to the thing that I think we talk about every time this comes up, which is this idea that the scientific method is, is not, it's not an algorithm, but broadly, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a model for thinking about the world, given the fact that like time never stops moving. Hmm. Right. So like, so you're talking about this duration component where you're like, well, if you did it for 12 sessions, then I would call it, you know, then I would say, well, well, we got some trends in this here data. Like (laughs) that's the thing, right? If you say you go, there's so many things that could happen on that first day of surfing. It could be cloudy and cold. There could be no waves. The waves could be too big. Uh, Your leash might cut your leg. Your leash might snap. Uh, You might not get out past the break. You might get sunburned. You might run out of gas on the way to the beach, right? Like there's all this stuff. And so uh, the surfing example is fun because it touches on like just casual human activity. But very quickly, when you look at that and how you approach that in your life, uh, you don't need to layer on the baggage of the scientific method, but you can kind of apply it in a way that affects your perception of a thing that you're interested in. If you just go that one time and have a terrible time and you're like, I hated it. Surfing is miserable. I did it once. I'm never going to do it again. It's like, well, you didn't really gather enough information. And so you didn't really successfully test your hypothesis that you will like surfing if you try it. Because you didn't really try it enough. (laughs) But also sometimes I think you you can immediately encounter one variable that's a deal breaker for you, in which case... You know, man, that was cold. As far as I can tell, that is the average water temperature always. (laughs) I'm not into it. (laughs) And that's a really fair response too, right? Because you'll catch, and it's the conversation that you'll see from people. Like, I I love surfing. I've done it a ton. But I remember a year, years of frustration. Even now when I go surfing, sometimes I'm frustrated uh, because it doesn't go my way. (laughs) <laughs> and I feel like I wasted my time. I'm like, oh, no, more more stress now than before I went surfing. Um, but this, this surfing experiment here uh, touches on just immediately a philosophical component of stuff, right? Like you can force yourself into doing or feeling or liking anything. So is there real, are there really any experiments? In that context, it sounds like no person who likes surfing certainly are you ran through a complicated experiment 
it's just that same thing I was saying in that experiment. Even the place where the experiment you ran through gets dicey is because once you have to apply this thing that's otherwise sort of mechanically rigid to squishy space, it just goes... Like, there's no... (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Well, it touch this whole thing really will never be clear well it reduces down entirely to some core concepts in physics um like the uncertainty principle which people have heard of and gets used a lot at like macro scales like the scale of life it gets i see it in writing and stuff all the time it kind of gets philosophized Um, The uncertainty principle is like a quantum effect principle that affects things at very small scales in these like really complex modern scientific physics experiments that like says, well, you can't at some level in our universe, it doesn't seem like you can measure things because like when you measure them, you affect them. And that conceptually applies really well to the rest of life and if it happens at the tiniest scale of our universe, uh, physically where we're looking right now, it seems reasonable that it applies as you move up the chain. Um, and it does like measuring things affects them. When you measure like the length of something, you have to put a ruler up next to it. You're touching it. And so I think this is an important part of the idea of testing that you're talking about. Never mind the philosophical component of like, is it, is does your presence affect the data that gets into a space you can't talk about with any sort of certainty it's called the uncertainty principle but there are places in life where with increasing certainty we can watch things and we can see them happen and like you can run aggressive a b testing on an ad campaign on the internet and that testing is of great value and a b testing is just run an algorithm that randomly tests one version of a website versus another. And then you can see if people click on the button, right? So you can run a test where of a million hits, 500,000 of them get the big red button and 500,000 don't. And if 400,000 people click the red button of those 500, that's a significant number of people that were like, Ooh, a button and then clicked it. Well, that's a neat that's so that starts to touch on a on an aspect of this that removes it from the individual human scale, right? You can't go surfing 500,000 times and isolate each of the like aspects of surfing down to the data that you can that people are now the average internet user is now a little more aware of what's happening. Like information about me is being tracked. I can see websites changing over time based on behavior. Some websites change for individuals now. Uh, and that, that speaks to this new space we have with experiments that can happen in mass really quickly because we're all connected with these digital devices. We can measure so much information, all these devices reporting things back about all the fitness apps we're starting to gather. The hope is that that will allow us to do aggregated fitness analysis and and so again there's like when you start to talk about that like we did with the fitbod guys you're in a space where it's still hard to deal with where it meets the meat space like that's why you still need trainers it's why you still need doctors but it's why we've gotten to that space that i've i've 
talked about before, which is like, I, there's, there comes a day when, when you know that there's an AI algorithm that's better at identifying a, you know, uh, anomalies in radiology images than, than humans have ever been. Cause it's just about pattern recognition and comparison and the numbers bear out. You're not going to trust a doctor's gut unless they talk to their droid. So there's that, there's that space, right? But then it's still, it hits that meat space. And so the, the idea of big data solving everything falls apart, you know, at some point, but what's the broader, like, how do you get from a B testing to the place we just ended up where it's like, what? <laughs> like if you could take all of this health data and you could run statistical analysis on giant numbers, you can start to see things that are fuzzy, but they're definite trends, right? If you could, if you could look at uh, 10 million people who, because of their credit card behavior, we suspect are surfers, and then you can see if they live longer over a period of time, then you could say like, well, there's a pretty good chance that surfing is actually good for you. Um, it's fuzzy, to the extent that it's something, right? But it's the numbers are so high that you have to take the trend seriously. Yeah, I mean the uh, the idea of the a primary uh, component, a primary component of running a successful experiment using the scientific method is being aware of what affects the system you're trying to measure and limiting the things that change between tests. And so uh, I think the types of like scientific experiments that I run into the most just on a daily basis, like reading the news and stuff, they tend to be like health and nutrition things. I think that's what I see a lot in, in, in the space. I see people sharing articles online and whatnot. They frequently want to talk in that space about like science said this or whatever said that, right? And it's like, eh. I mean, the idea is that they're applying the scientific method, but there it's but it's in this space where yeah, like I I understand what's happening with gluten, but my answer forever when that comes up is oh, it seems fine with me though. So whatever. Like I don't mean to discount it, but it's more just like there's no data in that space that's going to change my mind because eh, like nutrition, I feel the same way about physical fitness. It's like, there's a point where that interfaces with your meat computer and it's just too complicated for anything, but another com meat computer to assess it. I sure would like to know that that meat computer is applying a certain methodology. <laughs> um, so, so we're talking about, you know, experiments and sort of the favorite experiments and the, and the, and the, you know, the difference between a, a baking soda volcano and what you're really talking about. If you're talking about like large scale scientific testing. Um, but that's the testing piece. And we talked about this, like where this gets dicey is when it starts to overlap with how we should apply it to what's essentially behavioral modification and that has to do with the thing that you talk about a whole bunch in education context, which is like feedback loops, mm -hmm. uh, which in a single experiment is not necessarily a thing that exists. But if you're thinking about that experiment as a thing applied over time forever, because it's just a thing to pay attention to, 
then you have to understand this idea of feedback loops where not only can you diverge that internet traffic to a b test a thing you can increasingly chase granularity in those forks and have the forks respond to feedback that you get so you're going to start seeing like like ways to test weird things in a sense i think this touches on an interesting uh sort of a good a good place to separate science from engineering which i think uh blend together a lot in a lot of ways but also i think of science as kind of the exploratory side of of this like math and science based adventure it's where you come up with interesting things like take the science of surfing right the idea of like what is surfing like i should go try it it seems fun the water is interesting how do you ride the waves what's it like to get balanced and you go try it out and you figure some things out and you buy a board and you've set up your little laboratory and you figure out the beach you like to go to engineering as you move in it like becomes engineering as you decide i'm going to do this more and now i want to like get better at it or i want to go more frequently or i want to find a board that fits right for me and all of a sudden you start layering on uh like goals with the activity and that's kind of where i see science blend where science kind of overlaps and then blends into engineering and i think engineering is really what people are everyone is applying engineering principles to uh, their life these days when we talk about optimizing it's people wanting to engineer things in their life they've like they've read about it they've read about the science they've kind of figured it out i'm interested in this space now i want to take hold and like set goals and change behaviors to get a desired outcome like engineering is a is a is a realm of science where you're not chasing an outcome or necessarily like a, a data pattern. And I mean mechanical engineering, like the stuff that results in manuals that you can go look up, you know, approved clearances for bolts for the aerospace industry. Like the reason it's dialed down to that point is because you don't want a bolt to shear on a bridge, right? Like you have a goal. This bridge needs to not fall over in all of these different contexts that will that the that the earth will foist upon it right like so high winds too many people on the bridge at the same time like that's not like a you're not you're not just doing a test to find that out you're you have a goal and you're like cool that was achieved with all of these settings let's certify those settings as okay for this context to use and assume that it won't fail um, versus the science piece, which it seems for you, and I, I think I agree, is more like the stuff you do think of as a science experiment for most people, right? Like Mr. Wizard, like, oh, here's a way you can poke at this and then see a, an interesting thing happen. And it seems to always happen. Um, let's kick it to the engineers to find out why. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, along along the lines of the, the two videos we may have may or may not have talked about earlier uh but there are two little science experiments with copper wire and a battery that one makes the copper wire spin kind of like a motor and the other one draws the battery with these magnets on it through a copper loop kind of like a subway and they're neat science experiments 
they kind of become engineering when you turn them into something functional. When you're like, okay, well, now I'm, I've figured out that there's this thing that spins this other thing uh, with some sort of seeming magic. What can I do with it? What's the application? So figuring it out, figuring out electromagnetism is science, turning it into a motor and then applying that motor to create automobiles and drills uh, is kind of the engineering component. And it's, I think there's a lot of science out there that people are reading about that's really exciting. And the challenge now is how do we apply that? How do we engineer? Uh, how do we how do we use this information to become engineers around our own lives? How do we engineer things in our life? How do we engineer things in our own life? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Because I think I think maybe what we're really... So, so the distinction then in tests to me is I think where people bump in to this in their life is places where the trend right now is just, hey, here's more data. Hey, get an Apple Watch. It'll tell you stuff. And then it's like, yeah, okay. But what do I do with that <laughs> to be healthier? Right. Um, and we still need that. You still need the doctor, or the trainer, or the yogi or whatever to help you with this interface component on this digital universe that we don't seem to be uh, you know, planning to let go of. Um, I want to back up to a thing that I don't think has come up yet, and I'm not sure if we have somewhere to cut it in. Mm-hmm. You frequently in in our conversations about science stuff, you quip that the problem is most people have never done an experiment. Mm-hmm. To me, that makes me so. So, really, your thing is you mean people have never run testing. Uh, yeah, I think now that we've talked about this a little bit more, yeah, people have, I don't, I don't think most people have had an experience where they, well, it's, it's, it's bigger than all of that, right? They haven't had an experience where they're engineering a solution to something that requires rigorous testing. Uh, no, you're right. Because it's the difference between, hey, I tried a thing out to do some exploration, which is, you know, scientific. And I didn't like it, but I think I could change this. I'm going to try to change it and then see if I like it. Right. It's the distinction between I stopped putting bread on my sandwiches for a while. And I think I feel better. And the difference between I isolated my diet very explicitly for years, varying all these things and gathered information. And I handed that data over to a third party and they analyzed it and found this trend and found that I was happier on days I didn't eat bread. And it confirmed the idea that came to me the like week I didn't eat bread. And I, that second piece, I can, I'm cringing for all the people that I would say that to in conversation just because it sounds stupid applied to your life uh, because you just you can't do that. I read a long article a year ago by a scientist who has been doing something like that. Uh, it's He's like five years I've been tracking ridiculous amounts of stuff. Like every single thing he does all day long, he's been writing down. And he's got all this data. And, and I, I don't remember the article. I should pull it up before I make gross generalizations about it. Um, But it's just, it's kind of impossible to do on that level. 
And it's the promise of the Apple Watch is, I'm a smart little computer. I'm going to follow you around all day and tell you things. Uh, but we're still... The, the, the piece that gets me, or the piece that I feel pretty comfortable saying is, we're still pretty far from really getting any concrete uh, evidence out of systems like that. There are meta layers of benefits that come, like the idea of seeing activity points on a watch motivates you to do more things and doing more things is is kind of better for you moving around <laughs> we can generally agree is good for you uh but it's it's very the my comment that i make about most people not having run an experiment is kind of just it in the complexity of running experiments instills a gut reaction in you to uh conclusions like conclusions that people draw about systems that that are their conclusion when a conclusion is drawn to affect a decision ah, it's got to be based on something or else you're just having a conversation about your preference it's just like me arguing with you whether or not Everclear is a great band there's no basis behind anything so if there's no basis it's just a conversation it's not like a it's not a decision-based discussion you should double down on gin blossoms as your example for that <laughs> for that context i think everybody kind of likes the gin blossoms though no <laughs> I'm trying to think of the piece that excites me here. And the excitement on this topic for me has actually recently been the realization and acceptance behind I should kind of, I need to be aware of a lot of things. If I, if I have like goals in my own personal life about my own body or about my own work or my family life or my friend life, and I want to be scientific about it i want to make sure the decisions i'm making have an effect i can't be sure most of the time and so the idea the the place i've reached is uh understand what's going on be mindful about it and then uh be be peaceful come to terms be come have some peace relax peace. a little bit relax a little bit and just do the thing that kind of makes you happy which does not mean eat ice cream every day, even though I do eat ice cream every day. I kind, I'm not sure that's bad for me. I have conversations every couple of days with people about why eating ice cream is not bad for me, but I kind of think it is. And so I know when I'm eating ice cream that I feel like I should be doing something else. And so whether or not it's actually good or bad for me doesn't really matter. I won't know for a long time. No one will ever really prove it. It's not really that important to prove. But I think overall, long term, I'd be a happier person if I stood up to ice cream and said, no, I'm not going to let you crawl into my mouth again tonight before bed. <laughs> you know, you just kind of know these. You just have to you just have to be real conscious of your acts <laughs> and be OK with them. So as it pertains to what you were just talking about, I, I still am inclined to wear the Apple Watch and to increase granularity where I can. Like I would sign up for a doctor's office where for a monthly fee, I'm allowed to come in once a month and we do blood analysis. Like I could live with that level of granularity on that data to see what happens trend wise, yeah. but probably nothing there to notice unless there's a weird spike that's like, oh, that should not be going up unless you have prostate cancer. There's, yeah, I mean, you need, you need, you need, uh, you hear the term statistical significance a lot uh in in reports and in news and stuff referencing the measurements um one of the aspects of measuring data 
that you'll see in scientific studies. And uh, it's a very important number. And there are some like defined uh, ranges. There's some defined values, some defined methods within the scientific community that are used to kind of decide is is this representative of an actual trend? Did we really discover something meaningful here? And even those are kind of up for debate often because uh, you're you're relying on uh, on some level you're relying on guesses. You're relying on gut feelings, and you almost can't get away from that. It's it's I'm taking the tack the opposite tack that I usually do of like stern firm scientific discovery, but. As soon as you get into the realm of statistics, which is what most like health studies, most biological based studies uh, rely heavily on, um, God, everything. This gets us to the place where this really does impact people's lives, I think, which is worth talking about, although we don't need to dive into any of the politics of it. Like the FDA exists because if you're going to take a substance that in a certain quantity can kill you, because in a lower quantity, it has a beneficial effect. Like, that's the thing we want government regulated. And they have a set of standards by which you can prove to them that this drug in the right dose is not harmful to people. And so the place where this probably impacts your life the most is Tylenol has cleared a bar for testing how Tylenol will impact people that the government put in place so that it could be so they can certify it to sell to you but there are weird quirks in this like you can't test cancer drugs except on patients who are already terminal so the only data point we get out of cancer clinical trials is generally well it decreased mortality by a certain amount which usually just means people lived a bit longer and so it makes everything we do with cancer diagnosis really inconclusive because there's a second step past that which is and i bet it would work great if we caught it earlier we don't know not allowed to test it so it creates this weird space where people are kind of like well should we let them test it because it seems like <laughs> maybe that would be beneficial this comes this comes back to a lot of bigger philosophical <laughs> conversations that we have incessantly on this podcast um and one of them is just the granularity with which we understand our universe and with which we're able to reproduce our universe. Uh, and I think an important conversation to be had at this point in time about science and scientific understanding and personal opinions and your own feeling about how, you're, how you feel day to day minute to minute, how your body feels, how your mind feels, how you emotionally feel. Uh, we're getting better granularity. We're getting a better understanding of how this stuff works. And at any point when information is presented to you as absolute truth, you should resist a little bit. And it's a dangerous time right now to say that as someone who uh, has spent a lot of I've spent a lot of my life studying science and, and being a, an actual engineer, testing things, experimenting with things, measuring things, making decisions based on data. Um, and I, I fully recognize the slippery slope of allowing scientists and science to take the tack of, well, gravity's just a theory. That's a really slippery, dangerous slope. But in a world where the information about gravity 
for instance, is so well distributed to the whole planet. You can go watch a million different videos on what gravity is and how it works at any level of depth, academic depth you want. As it's I always in, do when this comes up, I'm going to point out, if you've watched a football game, you've watched an extensive gravity <laughs> experiment. An extensive, never-ending gravity experiment. That repeats the number of every times season. that we have tested under pressure that a football will behave yeah, a little predictably. <laughs> the NFL is just a running physics experiment. I, I choose gravity there in this example because it's a particularly absurd one from our perspective as beings that live on the surface of the earth, right? Gravity is the same everywhere. But if we were a species that hadn't left our planet and didn't have scientific hypotheses that gravity is based on the chunk of earth, this big chunk of rock and metal and lava or whatever the hell it is, if, if we didn't have some concept that it created gravity, the, the idea that things would fall differently on the moon would be absolutely absurd. And so there's your theory would have been and probably was that this is just how things move. This is the whole world. This is our reality. The flat thing that we live on that it used to be was reality and so the theory at the time was if you drop an apple it's going to fall to the surface of reality because this is all there is but it had to change a little bit it wasn't it wasn't incorrect but it wasn't complete so it's kind of like i didn't tell you i didn't say it so i didn't lie but i also withheld information it was it and so it's not that it's right or wrong but it it needed to alter, it needed to change, it needed to adapt. And as we discover more about ourselves personally, I mean, like personally on like a spiritual level, an emotional level, and as we discover more about like how our minds work and how they interface with our physical bodies, and whether or not those two things are both rooted in the physicality of our universe, all these things will change. All the theories of gravity, I firmly believe, will adapt and become more than they are right now. And if that's not discussed as part of science, and if that's not at the forefront of the conversation, at least at the beginning, the intro of your physics class, I don't think you're making progress away from this is how the world was created and it was created 6,000 years ago. And I know it's a really subtle, picky difference, but I think the more we have these conversations and the more we challenge the things that I've come to really believe and stand firmly on from a scientific background, the more I realize how abstract and fluid those things really are. And not only is it important to recognize that, but that is the core of what we do here on this podcast is explore the places where it is squishy, where the meat space interacts with math. And that's where it's interesting. That's where I get stoked myself. And I can feel it right now as I'm like surging and wanting to and just I, talk for hours. And I think the thing that I always want to say to people that I feel like are, you know, fit our listener demographic is it's okay to want the data, right? Like that curiosity is welcome. Get as granular as you want. Track everything you possibly can. Because why the fuck not? The things exist to help you do it now. But you should know 
that a lifetime's worth of data is still not really enough to run with in order to decide what you should have done with your life. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, we can use big data to affect how we feel about these things a little bit. And doctors can study that stuff and they can work with it. But it's just this, it's this, it's like a signal noise question. And it's sort of just like, yeah, well, it's something. But I'm not too busted up if I don't make my steps in any given day. Um, and the, the piece that gets pointed out to me a lot, which is really fair. This is a totally fair analysis of how I behave. Uh, you can't put the pressure of making decisions off onto other things. It's not your iPhone's responsibility to track your fitness and tell you what to do to be healthy. You kind of know. And if you don't know, then you're probably not stressed about it. And so I know, I kind of know what I should be doing most of the time when I'm stressing about not doing the right thing. And, and I know that if I do the right thing that I'll ultimately feel better, but it's just hard to do. So you can't always do it. And I often use the excuse of, well, we don't really know if that's the right decision to just avoid having to deal with it at all. And that's not right either. (laughs) So the conclusion that I continually come to with a lot of really important things right now in my life is I've read a lot about this. I've thought a lot about this. I've talked with a lot of people about it. uh, And this is what I think is right. And by just moving on where I genuinely believe I feel is the right direction. I'm making a difference. I'm making a positive impact in a positive direction. If that's my goal. If my goal is to be evil and do something horrible, then you go that direction, you know? Well, right. So just having that data doesn't mean that it's good data. But there's nothing wrong with being like, hey, I can track this thing. I wonder what I can do with that. But here's what the last thing you were saying made me think of. Ready for this? Or blow your mind. (laughs) I think... What you just ran through is how an AI is going to a super intelligent artificial intelligence of some sort is going to regard us like you just described, like the way we regard our gut biome. Like you just talked about all this sort of signal that you get from your body that says, Hmm. oh, yeah, that's better for me, I guess. Right. Interesting. It that you you're getting a signal from those microbes by their behavior in your belly, but they're not, you know, you're not getting like, you you get an input, but you don't know how to articulate it. And you just kind of go like, well, sometimes some of them got to die because we got to get a virus out. But sometimes, you know, it's like, that's how a super intelligent AI is going to feel about us. Generally benevolent, (laughs) you know, like "Eh, it's good. I mean, we keep trying to keep them alive because we seem, we feel happier when these things are alive, but we don't really know what they're up to. Interesting. <laughs> it yeah, may already have... be manipulating the system as such. We don't even Yeah, know. I mean, there's that, there's that disconnect between all these layers of understanding and information exchange. Um, what we were just, what Ooh. we're talking about here, <laughs> I think is also important for looking at, uh, a place, a, another place where all of this stuff comes up uh, and that uh, really frustrates me is the attitude that a lot of people take to historical decisions that have been made around uh, our understanding. And what I'm talking about here is, for instance, <clears throat> I'll use one that is uh, not necessarily very polarized, smoking. There were like companies that did scientific studies 
And it's all coming out now that a lot of them uh, knew that smoking was bad for you. The idea that all of these things are squishy and change over time, the idea that the theory of gravity has evolved and we we think we've got like the we think we've got it figured out we know what it's like it works this way all across the universe everywhere we look every single thing we do all these decisions we make are based on this theory that's repeatable and happens every single day in every single football game all across the planet or all across the u.s and canada and maybe part of england (laughs) (laughs) but uh the fact that it will change football my many names they're all a physics experiment (laughs) the fact that we'll discover ways that it's different than how we thought i think is sort of the shining light on our history of scientific discovery and our history as a species of trying to do the right thing and making mistakes and so i get really frustrated with people's uh distrust of big systems that were put into place to try to do the right thing like for instance uh, diet trends, right? They're at a at some level. There are people that are just trying to make a buck. But when you look at like the greater scientific community and the greater medical community as a whole, I think the goal is always just to accomplish something that makes a difference, that makes people healthier, that makes allows people to make better decisions. And the fact of the matter is we put too much pressure on them to tell us what to do and they're going to make mistakes, but more importantly, they're going to make decisions based on what they think they know at the time. And later it will always turn out that they didn't know everything they thought they knew, whether or not they're right or wrong is kind of hard to say in a lot of cases, but they will just be more things that we learn until at some point the universe is one big brain and it understands everything about itself, which it's not yet. Uh, but I feel like that, I feel like, I feel like that rabbit hole we covered on a previous episode. So a bunch of them, a bunch of them, people go listen to that. That seems like as good a place as any to get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Just pre-roll that one. You think that's a, do you think that's, I recognize that as a dump out point where as an editor, I'm like, oh man you could cut that in anywhere and just end the episode (laughs) it seems like a lot of those things you always Um, say work that way right like layer on any music it'll sound awesome oh yeah cut out anywhere it kind of (laughs) works pretty much uh fade out is always a way to clean things up fade out always works but thanks for hanging out for another one of these and special thanks as always to our backers on patreon who throw us as little as a dollar an episode to help keep this thing afloat uh, if you sign up over there, you can yeah, you get access to our Slack channel where we talk about a lot of these things as they solidify into, into episodes. But hey, I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Keep it real, home slice. I'm gonna get yoga pants with Elon Musk on the ass, and then I'll just wear those to networking events. <laughs> <laughs>